but I come from the country of Machiavelli, so I'm less fast <laughs> about... Uh... Well, good evening from Houston, Texas, and good morning to Shanghai, China. I'm very excited to have our first international call with a my colleague and friend Fabrizio Ulivi uh, doesn't sound like a typical name for somebody in China, but I'm sure we'll hear the, hear the story. So Fabrizio, I'm really glad that we can make the technology work here, and uh, let's let's giddy up and go, as we say. Good evening, Michael, <laughs> and thank you for having me. Yeah, I have to start with um, since we know each other a little bit when I was working in China, but folks don't know you. Could you just give us a b- brief background about uh, yourself and how you ended up in uh, Shanghai? Absolutely. So as my name suggests, I am Italian and not Chinese. <laughs> and, um, I, and my accent will also give it away a little bit. So I apologize in advance for this strong Italian accent. Um, I am based uh, in Shanghai mostly because, well, I studied Chinese and economics with a focus on China. So the decision to move to Shanghai was kind of a forced decision even though I, I like to sound smarter than that. So I obviously planned <laughs> to move to China. And um, I've been working here for uh, quite a few years now in the human resources and uh, organization development field. And um, yeah, so that's essentially how I ended up here. Great. Uh, as you know, this podcast is about people's career journey, and in particular, people who find themselves in uh, a management position and even more specifically, middle management, um, because there are unique challenges there. But let's start at the beginning. And since you're in the business and you've worked with people from different parts of the world and in different companies, let's start this transition by looking at people who are first individual contributors, people who know what they're doing. They're good engineers. They're good accountants. They're a good salesperson. And uh, then they find themselves often in uh, all of a sudden as a manager, and I'm not sure that they've thought about it, and I'm not sure that they understand what they've gotten into. And uh, but why don't you talk to me about how, how you see it? Absolutely. The the situation we observe. I mean, um, just to give a little bit of background, we work with a number of uh, different organizations across different industries and uh, organizations of very different sizes and uh, localizations. So most of our clients are multinational corporations that work with us, especially on Asia Pacific. And, uh, but we also have um, a lot of clients in the small and medium enterprises sector and, um, and also domestic organizations, so Chinese organizations whose headquarters are actually in China. But we can definitely see a pattern across industries and uh, companies, which is a tendency to promote individual um, contributors into middle management positions, mostly because of two key reasons. So either outstanding performance or seniority. Now, the um, the situation is that the promotion is often regarded um, as a reward, right? As a reward for outstanding performance uh, or in less mature organizations as um, a reward for uh, the amount of time spent in the company. So 
both approaches usually revert around the need to retain long-standing employees or talent. Now, the, um, the biggest recurring mistake we observe in this kind of uh, dynamic is the tendency uh, to promote these individual contributors because of their subject matter expertise. So they are outstanding, as you said, they're outstanding engineers, outstanding accountants, or outstanding sales representatives, which is my favorite example. And then all of a sudden, they find themselves into a managerial position. And the assumption was, well, they know very well their job, so they might as well lead the team, which unfortunately often is, um, is a recipe for Disaster. I, I like hyperbole, so bear with me. No, but, uh, <laughs> but more often than not, we see a lot of issues coming up from these kind of dynamics because obviously uh, competencies for managers are not the same that you would be looking at for individual contributors. And even though subject matter expertise, it's an obvious added value, a manager needs to leverage on a set of skills, abilities, uh, that goes beyond the specific expertise of, uh, of any given position. Fabrizio, do you think the employees, I mean, they, they know maybe what's involved. They know it's different, but do you think they've thought this through or know what the ex- expectations are? And, and are we doing enough to help people uh, match up their, their, uh, their, their skill set with those uh, new expectations? Well, the bland answer is that uh, very rarely uh, individuals know what's um, what's involved what's the meaning and um, and that and that's a big that's a big issue so while there's an obvious consideration about the specific combination of hard and soft skills uh, that are required for a manager position uh, the the assumption that we often come across is that is the belief that a great individual contributor uh, can simply learn how to manage a team and continue the great work. Now, this is an obvious pitfall. Uh, and it comes with a lot of stress for the individuals that realize that all of a sudden, oh my goodness, I don't have the skills to, to deal with this. I knew how to do my job perfectly and I, I, also, I also was enjoying it. I enjoyed doing my work and I thought, it would be fantastic to take the lead on a team. Now, all of a sudden, my uh, people is disengaged or I'm missing deadlines or there are miscommunications, mistakes are made and my boss is breathing down my neck and, um, and I don't know how to deal with it. So this is unfortunately a very, very common situation. <laughs> now, the, the, the typical example I always make to, to my clients when I try to let them understand what I'm talking about is the, the case of the outstanding sales representative. Sure. So we have this guy, amazing sales, he closes all deals, then we need to reward him and we will turn him into a sales manager. Then all of a sudden, the guy is taken out from the field, put behind the desk managing a team of sales representatives and um, his subject matter expertise is not a predictor of success anymore. So he switched to uh, a managerial position and he may be completely lacking the ability to actually manage a team of sales people rather than uh, contributing actively to, to the sales. So that's 
that that's the typical example that most of my clients understand right right <laughs> because it's a very very common situation but I believe. Th- Yes, I, I think you're right, but they've never thought through what the specific uh, uh, knowledge, skills, and attributes are to, for management. I, I, they might know them, but I doubt they've articulated that, as we've mentioned, to the candidates. How, how, how do you explain it to people if you have their time and attention? How do you, how do you define the new success metrics? I mean, the success metrics, um, the, the way we handle these with uh, organizations is that we like to pin it on performance. So that it's extremely practical and organizations can understand that at the end of the day, the key indicator is a key performance indicator. So if you want to achieve that, what do they, what do your people need right. to, right. to have? What are the key competencies that will contribute to this? So we usually start from the bottom and we sit down with our clients and we literally look at what are the um, key skills and behaviors and abilities and competencies uh, that define success for individual contributors. And then we take that one step further and it's like, okay, now think about a manager. Right. Are the skills the same? Is it desirable to have an amazing communicator as, um, or a, an amazing account manager as a sales manager? Or do you need another set of skills? And if that's the case, are you promoting the right person into the job? So we usually leverage on a number of different elements to try and help organizations make the right decision. Yeah, you know, Fabrizio, as you and I have talked before, um, some of those competencies, that, that idea has been around for a long time. Um, you know, and we can talk about the fact that the people need, you know, new communication skills. Um, uh, they need to be a leader. They need to influence folks. But something that you said that was kind of interesting to me that I don't usually hear people talk about is what I'm going to call a different kind of uh, conceptual ability um, or strategic thinking. And you noted it as an ability to be – to abstract. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Because I think that's Absolutely. something we don't – I think sometimes we're so fixed on the interpersonal skills, which I think are important, and EQ, which is very fashionable. But I think we're afraid to mention or to consider that it is uh, – there's a conceptual imperative that's new and bigger. And I think, I think it's – if we don't talk about that, I think it's to our own detriment and to the detriment of the folks we're trying to work with. So talk to me a little bit about that. Indeed, indeed. Um, the, that – concept of abstraction is something that, um, I don't know, probably is uh, particularly evident for people like us operating in China. So the, the context I want to highlight is that here in China, even for multinational corporations, the approach, the leadership approach is um, much more paternalistic and much more directive than what we are used to in the West. Now, that's a necessary um, contextualization because it means that employees tend to have an expectations of being heavily directed from the top. Now, the, the, the key challenge, however, is that middle managers, especially, so I would say managers of managers, uh, they need to have a specific blend of tactical and strategic mindset because the way we see it and the way we uh, describe it to our client organizations is that they are in a very unique and critical position 
because they see the pain at the bottom and they see the vision at the top. And they need to act as the constant translators of these two very different languages. So they need to be absolutely um, executional, but also understand fully where the organization is heading to. What is the strategic vision of the C-level and senior management that are driving the organization, of course, into the future, which is a bright future of success, but then how does that translate into the day-by-day -day of the people on the ground? And the only ones that in the organization can truly do that are middle managers. To do this, they require the ability to move from tactical into strategic thinking. And the way we visualize it is the ability to abstract. So there are daily operations that are extremely practical, but then if you lack the ability of see the big picture, see the big picture and abstract. So go from what it means to be an accountant uh, issuing invoices or keeping or doing bookkeeping into how does that contribute to getting a 30% increase of global sales? What is the, con the connection? <laughs> and that's the critical mindset that we always try and point out to our clients. That to us is a, is a critical success factor for successful middle management. I don't know if I answered your question. Uh, absolutely, but I think it's even, I think you guys have done more than that because that's very well said, Fabrizio, but you and I know that we can talk about this and describe this to people, uh, but that's like me going to the gym and some guy telling me, a trainer saying, well, just pick up that 100 pound weight. Just, you just, you know, just do it. And I'm thinking, whoa, I'm, I'm not quite there yet. I need, to, I need to practice. I need to learn how to do this. Fabrizio, I wanted to ask you, uh, as we talk, as we move on to talk more about these uh, the specific challenges of being, quote, in the middle. Um, I wanted to, I think sometimes we just, we, we equate somebody who's a frontline manager with somebody who's managing other managers. And they're not the same thing, and there are different challenges. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely, absolutely. That's, um, that's something that um, sometimes I, I need to clarify with my clients as well. Like the title of manager doesn't mean that all managers are the same. So being a manager of individual contributors essentially means that you're managing a team of highly execution focused individuals. So your role is to coordinate execution. While being a manager of managers actually puts you in a very different position because Managers of managers are, in my opinion, we can we may call them directors, um, but they are in that specific position where, as I said, they need to translate strategy into execution. And then the supervisors, the managers, the first line managers are the ones that will actually deploy the execution. So those are two very different roles. Managing a team does not mean, in my opinion at least, um, being necessarily a middle manager. Middle management is a very broad category, but I believe that it still needs to be broken down into a couple of levels because the, the roles and the impact on the organization is very different. 
as far as I can of, of course. see. And, and I have to ask you now, being in Shanghai um, and the, the amount of time you've spent in East Asia working with companies in the Pacific Rim, what do you see now as uh, the difference between Western middle management and maybe East Asian middle management? That's that's a very uh, interesting uh, question, Michael, because um, we working with a lot of international organizations and multinational corporations, we almost on a daily basis have to battle against the assumption that uh, we are the same company, so whatever works in the U.S. will also work in Asia, and vice versa. Uh, we are a Chinese company, uh, but we are the same company, so what works in Shanghai will definitely work well in Houston. Now, the... <laughs> Obviously, obviously, this is not the case. There are certain cultural elements that persist, even in the most mature and uh, consolidated multinational Fortune 500 corporations. The culture, there are cultural elements that are essential uh, and that are essential to understand for organizational leaders and uh, human resources strategists and so on. One of the biggest things is the perception of hierarchy and uh, uh, roles. So while in the West, over the past few decades, we, we moved towards a more, let's say, peer-oriented, uh, matrixed kind of organizational structure where the expectation is that the, the boss is actually how we would call it in, in Latin, Latin is a primum inter pares. So it, it is the first of your peers. He's got more responsibility than you, but you can treat your boss as a peer. In China and East Asia, the, the expectation is still extremely different. Mm. So your boss is actually a leader that is expected not only to take responsibility for almost anything, that happens um, below them, but also makes the final decision. That actually means that um, decision-making processes are extremely different and uh, influencing processes are absolutely different because uh, even the same organization, even in the same U.S. corporation operating in China is faced with a much more um, layered hierarchy and so there are certain steps that cannot be skipped uh, when making decision or when uh, trying to push ideas through. You need buy-in from your boss who will in turn be in charge to uh, get buy-in from his boss and then uh, that boss will need to go to her boss. And it is a chain of events. When it comes to decision-making and uh, influencing and getting ideas through, uh, many organizations in East Asia actually require a stepped approach where um, a person has to influence and get buy-in from their uh, immediate uh, line manager, who in turn will need to go to their line managers and get buy-in so that the decision can be made at the top. So this actually is something that many uh, Western organizations do not really understand, and it is a critical element when it comes, going back to 
middle management when it comes to that specific level of the organization where strategy meets execution. Uh, so I don't know if I answered yeah, your you, question. You did. This is very important. Let me ask you this, Fabrizio. Let's say that I'm um, a young, a successful manager in Houston. I work for an oil company, and um, I come out to uh, China for a developmental assignment, and um, I'm I'm kind of noted for getting things done, and um, I'll say a bit of a cowboy. What what what, what, what <laughs> kind of what kind of counsel would you give me to make sure that I don't screw things up over there? So, what would be your advice, and how would you work with me to make sure I adapt? Of course, every situation is different, but in a, in a in a situation like the one you are describing, I would probably focus on two key things. So, um, your key uh, success factor, in your opinion, is that you get things done. Now, what you need to realize is that getting things done in Asia requires a different approach. You still can get things done, as obviously uh, the market growth in China uh, demonstrates, but you need to realize that your approach may not be a match, and it can actually become a complete failure. We actually very often see these kind of dynamics where extremely gang-o, um, Western managers just <laughs> come in uh, into the Asian organization and they actually go from being a manager into being an explosive bomb just thrown into the, into the mix. So the two key things are communication and influencing skills. Uh, because those are extremely different and require a lot of self-awareness and uh, ability to observe dynamics. So the, the, um, the way I would actually provide advice to someone like the person you described is make sure you look at how people communicate in your new organization. It's the same company, but do they communicate in the same way? And the answer is quite likely to be no. They tend, they probably tend to be much more indirect, even though now there are new generations coming into the workplace here in uh, Asia as well. So things are slowly changing, but there are certain things that you need to be on the lookout for. And the second thing is influencing. Influencing in the West does not work necessarily well in the east so say more about that Fabrizio. i'm sorry just that that really caught me what do you what do you mean by that um uh, talk, talk to me what like I mean, i'm yes please go ahead there are two elements that middle managers need to consider uh in in asia and like in places like china korea japan is that there are two different um ways to see at hierarchy. On one side, there's the formal one, which is absolutely uh, paramount. So the ability to influence by keeping uh, formality in mind and by not skipping steps, that's critical because it is one of the indicators of trustworthiness. If you are savvy in the way you approach political dynamics in organizations. In Asia means that you know when it is your turn to speak and you know who is 
the decision maker. Now, it's uh, back to basics, but you need to have a very clear stakeholder map in your mind uh, when it comes to your role so that you know who is the decision, the final decision maker and who are the people that separate you from that final decision maker and uh, how positioned are they to support you. So if you have new ideas, you're this young gang O manager from Texas, how do you convince them so that they convince your boss? And many, many uh, managers and executives we coach here in, um, in China and um, in Asia, in uh, East Asia, actually find these a very painful process <laughs> because they're used to just go to the decision maker and or set up a meeting with everybody in the room and just involve the key decision maker, present your idea to everybody, have a discussion in the room, but this is not how it necessarily works here. Decisions are often not made in the room. And there's a number of, there's a number of external influencers that do not have actual formal power or authority, but are critical players in the decision making process. In China, we use this term, which is guanxi. Guanxi literally translates uh, into relationship, connection. But in China, is a critical interpersonal and social dynamic that foreigners need to grasp as soon as they can the moment they are assigned to, uh, to China. And generally speaking, to Asia is a very relationship-oriented um, context as opposed to the more task-oriented, performance-oriented, results-oriented uh, relationship-building process we have in the West. Fabrizio, I have to ask you, in, in the States, there's been a lot of talk around leadership about authenticity and being vulnerable. Um, when you talk about relationship in, in Asia, are you talking about uh, – is it a little bit more – one off or are they looking for that kind of true or deep communication or are we, am I overstating it? That's, that's a complex uh, question. Um, but because it really depends on the kind of organization we're looking at, there are uh, younger uh, organizations in, uh, in China, especially where that kind of uh, authentic leadership, uh, active listening, um, mm -hmm. emotional intelligence right. and um, all of these kind of uh, leadership areas are actually um, being looked at with a lot of interest, but there are other, many other organizations, maybe a little bit more traditional in the way they operate, where this kind of authenticity is considered, is almost considered a liability. So it's very difficult to answer your question because in my experience, it really depends on the kind of organization we're looking at. And uh, from this specific perspective, each organization I deal with is entirely different from uh, another. So it's really, really uh, on a case by case, I, I would say. That's fair. That's fair. Well, if you if you step back, as we've talked about, you know, the difference between maybe East Asia and uh, Western cultures, when you step back, what are the biggest mistakes uh, you've seen people uh, make as mid-level managers? And we've, we've talked about this some. And, and what advice would you give to them? 
Mm, that's um, that. That's a, a very uh, interesting list <laughs> of of mistakes that um, that we observe. One of the biggest mistakes is the um, inability to identify stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So. When, when I talk about politics in organizations, I often find people getting a bit surprised that I'm openly talking about politics uh, because that there is this slightly negative connotation um, towards the concept of politics. But I come from the country of Machiavelli, so I'm less fast <laughs> about, uh, about talking about politics, um, which to me are just... It's just a term that defines the fact that we are uh, human beings interacting and every organization to me um, works as a society. So there are social dynamics that middle managers absolutely need to master. They need to know who are the key stakeholders in whatever process they are trying to manage or change or implement or, de or design, whatever they're doing. They absolutely need to be politically um, savvy about um, about the situation and about who are the decision makers. Um, more often than not, they tend to focus on either side of the spectrum rather than fluctuating. So they either just look at the strategic level because they want to make their bosses happy or they revert into their subject matter expertise and only focus on the executional aspect of what they're doing. So again, is that constant switching between strategic and tactical, which can be amazingly stressful, but is one of the biggest mistakes we see uh, middle managers doing uh, in our um, in, in the client organizations we work with. Other uh, critical mistakes, well, there's the um, business handbook issue with uh, communication. Being being that kind of translators of strategy into execution, communication skills are paramount. And um, especially in certain um, jobs, communication skills are not developed enough. So, and especially for those that make the, the move from individual contributors or subject matter experts, they have their area of expertise in which they excel. So um, all of a sudden, they need to be able to translate it. And, uh, and they need to start talking a different language. So they need to start speaking leadership language, which is easier said than done. And not all organizations we uh, work with are actually set up to help their people to achieve that, which is the reason why we work with them. <laughs> sure. No, I want you to stay with that for a, for a moment. When you talked about, uh, I thought that was well said, talking about, um, I think you said leadership language. Um, when, when people are thinking about moving from mid to senior level positions, does that, I imagine that becomes more important. And so, so talk to me a little bit about what those demands are moving up the level, moving up a level to a more senior position. What do you see? Well, when it, when it comes to senior uh, positions, uh, I think that at that point, organizations actually need to focus a lot more on uh, strategic thinking and the ability to detach 
themselves to for the individual to detach themselves from um, from tactics. So there needs to be a foundational understanding of how the organization operates and how different functions interact with each other. So obviously that needs to be there, but the the move is um, the move upwards implies getting full on into creating a vision and uh, having a very big picture uh, thinking, a big picture mindset and a change orientation that embraces, um, that has a perspective on the entire organization. And um, this is why actually for that kind of switch, what we work with our clients on is to create a very specific set of core competencies that make sense for them, for the individuals and for the organization. It's not just enough to have a good middle manager uh, and just assume uh, they can become a fantastic uh, executive, senior executive. Of course. Fabrizio, as you've been talking about um, you know this career journey, I can really see it, that a mid-manager, it's a big job, obviously. I loved how you talked about it, having to bridge two worlds, the tactical and the strategic. And really what you're talking about is, a, is uh, the mid-level manager as a change agent. What, do you, what would you like to say about that? Absolutely. Um, that's, uh, that, that to me, especially being based here in Asia where we keep talking about the pace of change and things are effectively constantly changing. Um, that's something that many, or um, especially many international organizations do not really grasp entirely. Is the essential role that middle management has, again, as, uh, as I said, probably too many times is that bridging role between strategy and, uh, and execution, which becomes essential when marketing, uh, where the market is uh, shifting and where um, businesses keep on changing direction um, because market demand changes and the global market, the global economy keeps uh, shifting. Um, the role of middle manager becomes absolutely essential because they are the first recipients of the changes that senior, senior management is uh, doing on the strategic level. But they also know exactly or as exactly as possible what is happening on the ground. So on their role in that situation goes two ways. On one side, they are the ones that, again, translate the new strategy into new execution and implement change. But on the flip side, what they also do is that they take the pain at the bottom back to the top. So they are the um, editors of strategy. So senior management has a vision and strategy and they design their plans, but then it's up to the middle managers to actually see what happens on the ground and give feedback upwards. That's why to me, um, the ability to influence um, or middle managers is so important because they not only translate downwards, but they also should be translating upwards from executional level to strategic level, because otherwise, how can organizations de design strategies that are actually feasible? 
or um, again, I always go back to the sales representative um, example, but even in this case is very relevant. It doesn't matter if the sales director or the uh, vice president of sales and marketing has a strategy if the strategy is not integrated with what sales representatives in the field see on a daily basis. And the only people that can actually make that bridge are the middle managers. So they become the actual change agents by integrating these two very um, essential sides of this spectrum, I would say. That's a great summary, uh, Fabrizio. I, I, I just want to conclude by, by noting that y you've said a couple of times that you've, that what your firm does is you develop different, uh, models for individual contributors, for middle level, for mid-level managers and for executives. And really what you're talking about is building a talent pipeline for, for these companies. How do you see that? Indeed. That's, um, that's one of our, um, strength, I would say, um, because we do believe that organizations need to have a solid uh, talent pipeline. But the only way you can achieve that is to actually start from the very beginning. So define uh, a competency framework for your organization and then break it down until you get to the, um, the lowest level of the organization, break it down, make it as detailed as possible and train your people, train your middle managers on your competency framework. Don't just create competency frameworks with KPIs that nobody understands, but everybody implements because that's um, a, recipe, a recipe for failure. What we work with organization to achieve uh, is create a framework within which your people can move around and allow your people to contribute. Because again, going back to middle management, they are the ones that define the core competencies of your organization because they see what is needed on a daily basis. So the organizations that actually manage to leverage on contribution from middle management when it comes to talent pipeline, are also the ones in our experience that manage to create talent development programs that start from campus recruitment and onboarding all the way up to the C-level uh, executive coaching. And if everything is integrated, at that point, organizations achieve that level of flexibility and transformation ability that otherwise they would not have. So we, we define that as uh, maturity, right? In the field is organizational maturity. And that's one of the key steps in our opinion to achieve it and, um, and become able to constantly transform and regenerate and regenerative leadership and achieve that um, on a constant coherent basis. Fabrizio, that's that's really a nice summary, and uh, that 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 um, ability to create that um, that leadership system through this pipeline, as you talk about, is going to be necessary whether you're in China or even in in Texas. So, uh, I uh, I really appreciate the conversation this evening and, and this morning for you. 
I, uh, I'd like, really would look forward to seeing you again soon when we can travel again. But I really, uh, again, this has been a lot of fun. I learned a lot. I was very much challenged in particular when you were talking about, um, how to, how to, uh, skillfully work the organizational, um, politics, uh, in, in the company. So I think for right now, I'll stay in Texas. I think I might be better suited here, but I really appreciate your words and, and your insight. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you very much, Michael. And uh, it was a pleasure and uh, a real pleasure being uh, on this uh, talk with you. Uh, I always find it refreshing to, to have uh, conversations with you because we, we can definitely uh, have something to talk about, which is fantastic. <laughs> which is great. To be continued, my friend. You take care. Ciao. ciao. Likewise.